In our passage this morning, um, we're going to be dealing, uh, Jesus is going to have a conflict with some people, and uh, we had a word when I was uh, in high school for uh, people who were kind of like the people that Jesus is encountering here. Um, We called these people posers. So I don't know if that term is still really uh, a current thing or not, but if you grew up in the 1980s, you know what a poser is. A poser is somebody who pretends to be and acts like and looks like something that they're really not. And uh, I I came up with an example of maybe uh, if you're familiar with the whole climbing climbing community and stuff, you, there's posers sometimes in, in climbing. They'll show up and they've got their, you know, their super fancy scarf of shoes on, they've got their black diamond harness, they've got their chalk bag, they've got all their stuff, they're talking all the talk about how they were uh, climbing big walls in Moab and all this stuff, and then, and then they actually start climbing and you see, oh, that guy actually doesn't know how to climb at all. <laughs> he's just a poser pretending that he's a real climber when he's not. And in our passage this morning, we're going to see that there are spiritual posers who look the part and talk the part, and yet their actual spiritual condition is far from God. So uh, we see that here in Mark chapter 7. At the beginning of the chapter, um, Jesus comes into conflict with these guys about uh, their idea of of God and what it means to follow God. So they had a different idea of God and what it means to follow God. And that really gets at the core of what God wants from us and what it means to be a Christian. And so um, the first verses of chapter 7 set up the situation. Here's what it says the beginning of the chapter. The Pharisees and some teachers of the law who had come from Jerusalem gathered around Jesus and saw some of his disciples eating food with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. And then Mark gives a little parenthesis here to explain to his readers what this is all about. He says, the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they give their hands a ceremonial washing, holding to the tradition of the elders. When they came from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash, and they observe many other traditions such as the washing of cups, pitchers, and kettles. So what's with all this washing that these guys are doing? Well, I'm sure that it did actually result in uh, some hygiene and cleanliness benefits, but that wasn't why these guys were doing it. Um, As it says there in verse 3, this was a ceremonial washing that they were doing. Um, The point was to remove ritual defilement not to uh, remove germs, which actually these guys had no concept of germs that hadn't been uh, figured out yet. So they were just trying to remove ritual defilement. And this was a a religious practice, but it was something that was not commanded in the Bible. Um, It was an extension of what they thought, uh, their understanding of biblical principles uh, that talked about how the priests had to wash and all the things had to be washed when they were performing sacrifices. And so these guys thought, well, we're going to go one better. We're going to take that uh, instruction about sacrifices, and we're going to extend it to all of our lives, and we're just going to wash everything all the time. And so it was part of their their religious practice. So then in verse 5, it says, So the Pharisees and the teachers of the law asked Jesus, Why don't your disciples live according to the tradition of the elders instead of eating their food with defiled hands? 
So Jesus, uh, or, or the disciples at least, and probably Jesus himself, uh, uh, although they're only accusing the disciples here, they were ignoring this religious tradition of uh, the ceremonial washing. And according to the Pharisees, this was defiling them. It was defiling them. It, it, it's making them unclean in the eyes of God. And another way of putting that is they thought that this was sinful. They are unclean in the eyes of God. They're sinning. They should be washing their hands so that they can remain pure in God's sight. So what I would expect Jesus to say, what you might expect Jesus to say is something like, well, guys, you know, that actually isn't in the Bible. Um, the, the Bible only tells us this, that what you're talking about is just a tradition, and we don't really have to follow the traditions, um, that we only uh, are required to follow the inspired word of God. And that would have been a good answer. Um, that's probably the kind of answer that I would give in a, in a situation like this. But Jesus sees this as more than just a disagreement about whether ceremonial hand-washing is a requirement for the people of God. Jesus sees this as a profound difference of understanding about how people should relate to God. And his response broadens the scope of the conflict to outward honoring of God versus honoring God from your heart. So, in verse 6, it says, He replied, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites. As it is written, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. Jesus was not always very tactful and gentle with his uh, criticism of wrong ideas about God. Why not? Why wasn't Jesus a little more understanding and, uh, and tactful with this? Well, because a measured, gentle response would not have communicated strongly enough his objection. Jesus did not want anyone to think that these guys were basically correct and that Jesus agreed with them 80-90%, but they were just off slightly. No, Jesus disagreed with them completely. There is a grave danger in their approach to spirituality, and Jesus wants to be sure that we understand that. So here's the warning that Jesus is giving. He's saying, there is a kind of hypocritical religion that looks good on the outside, but fails to reach down to the heart. He, uh, his quote from Isaiah, these people honor me with their lips. What does that mean? Well, these people are professing to be followers of God. They're honoring God with their lips. They're saying good things. They're worshiping God, but they're doing so in vain. These are not people who appear to others to be rejecting God and his ways. They are religious people. They claim faith in God. They do many good religious things. They are honoring God with their lips. They're worshiping him. And hundreds of years after Isaiah first wrote this message from God to the people of his own time, Jesus says that prophecy also applies perfectly to these people 
in my own time. And guess what? It also applies to people in our time, too. There are people today who are like this. They claim to be Christians. They honor Jesus with their lips. They worship Him. They sing the songs. They, they, they show up in church every Sunday. They do all kinds of religious things. But they worship in vain because their hearts are far from God. Now, where do you think we would find people like this? <laughs> if these people exist today, and they do, then they are in church. They are in church, probably in our church. So am I saying that there are people in Clearwater Church who are honoring God with their lips and worshiping in vain because their hearts are far from God? Yeah, probably. I don't know for sure, but odds are some of our people, which people though? Look around, which ones? Um, no, I don't know who they are because by definition, they are saying the right things. They are doing the right things. They are they're, they're, they're appearing to be good on the outside. But here's the thing. Maybe it's you. Ask yourself where your heart is. Are you polishing up the outside with a fresh coat of paint while your heart is far from God? In the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus has another conflict with the Pharisees on the same issue. And he goes into some more detail and says a few different things than what he says here. And, 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 and explains more of what kinds of things they're doing that look good on the outside. And he explains a little more about what's actually in their hearts. So here's what he says there uh, in the Gospel of Matthew. He says, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. You blind guides. You strain out a gnat, but swallow a camel. So these guys, they weren't just talking. They were putting their money where their mouth was, right? They're giving a strict 10%, even of what grew in their backyard garden. Um, how many of you guys, when you go out blueberry picking in the fall and you go out and find your blue, you calculate out, okay, these blueberries, are, they go for about, what, $5 a pound, so, I've the, so I need to give a certain amount of money to uh, offset the income that I'm getting here from. I mean, these guys are extreme. But despite their extreme following of the rules, their extreme following of the law, their hearts do not care about justice, mercy, and faithfulness. They are straining out a gnat and swallowing a camel. Is he saying that being careful in your giving is a gnat and mercy and faithfulness are a camel? Yes, that's what he's saying. <laughs> Following those rules and making sure that you give all that stuff does not matter. It's tiny compared to the important things of 
mercy, justice, and faithfulness. He goes on, he says, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and dish, and then the outside will also be clean. So while they're practicing this ceremonial washing of cups, Jesus, of course, uh, sees that as symbolic of their real lives. Um, The outside they're cleaning up just nicely, but inside they're full of greed and self-indulgence. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You are like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of bones of the dead and everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside, you appear to people as righteous, but on the inside, you are full of hypocrisy and wickedness. On the outside, you appear to people as righteous, but on the inside, you're full of hypocrisy and wickedness. Later on in the Bible, uh, it's clear that this kind of hypocritical rule-following religion uh, has, has followed, carried on into Christianity, into the church in the days after Jesus. Uh, the Apostle Paul deals with a version of this in his letter to the church at Colossae. Uh, he says, Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. These rules, which have to do with things that are destined to perish with use, are based on merely human commands and teachings. Such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship, their false humility, and their harsh treatment of the body, but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. So these church members in Colossae, they're disciplining themselves. They're being very strict in their rule following. They're putting in the effort, but it's in the wrong direction. They are following merely human commands and teachings that lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. And of course, not only was it a danger for those people in Colossae back then, but it's still a danger for us in the church today. This is a warning for us. We could fall into a practice of religion in which we honor God with our lips give financially to the church, read the scriptures. That hasn't actually been mentioned in any of the passages we've looked at this morning, but we know that the Pharisees knew their Bibles, right? They were experts at studying the Bible. And we could take communion in the church, and we could have hearts that are far from God. In the next section here in Mark chapter 7, we see that sometimes our religious traditions are so far from the heart of God that they are actually sinful in their application. So this uh, starts here in uh, verse 8. He says, you have let go of the commands of God and are holding on to human traditions. And he continued... You have a fine way of setting aside the commands of God in order to observe your own traditions. For Moses said, honor your father and mother, and anyone who curses their father and mother is to be put to death. But you say, 
that if anyone declares what might have been used to help their father and mother is Corban, that is, devoted to God, then you no longer let them do anything for their father and mother. Thus you nullify the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down. And you do many things like that. So there are some practices from Jesus' time about uh, the obligation to support your parents uh, as they age and, and about making vows to God and all that that's very relevant here and explains the historical thing of what he's talking about. But I'm not going to take time to, to talk about that. You can look it up if you're really interested. The important thing is what he says here at the end, the part that's still on the screen here. He says, thus you nullify the word of God by your traditions. There are some practices from Jesus' time about the, uh, that, 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 that just are so contrary to the will of God as they're trying to practice religion. These are religious practices, but they become sinful in their application. The religious traditions have grown so far from the heart of God that keeping their traditions actually resulted in violating the word of God. But could that ever happen to us? Yeah, our religious traditions could also get to the point where they lead us to sin. That's another part of the warning for us today. Our religious traditions may be good and helpful and beneficial, but they are just traditions. And we must treat them very differently than we treat the actual word of God. Bible. And if there's ever a conflict between the two, we must always choose to follow God and his word and abandon our traditions. And we must be careful also not to condemn those who do not follow our tradition, which goes beyond the requirements of the Bible. Otherwise, we'll be playing the part of the Pharisees in this story and condemning the disciples for not washing their hands. So now that Jesus has rebuked the Pharisees pretty thoroughly, he has more to say to the whole crowd about this issue of inner purity versus external defilement. And so he says uh, in verse 14, And again Jesus called the crowd to him and said, Listen to me, everyone, and understand this. Nothing outside a person can defile them by going into them. Rather, it is what comes out of a person that defiles them. So this false religion said that if you ate without washing, uh, you were defiled in the sight of God. Jesus says, listen to me, that is not how defilement works. That's not how it works. It's not about eating improperly. Nothing that you put into your body causes you to be defiled in God's eyes. It's the things that come out of you that make you defiled. So then it says... Um, after he had left the crowd and entered the house, his disciples asked him about this parable. They think, well, this has to be some kind of a non-literal parable because he can't be saying what it seems like he's saying. So, Jesus, please explain to us, what did you mean by that? And Jesus says, are you so dull? <laughs> Don't you see that nothing that enters a person from outside can defile them? For it doesn't go into their heart, but into their stomach, and then out of the body. And then Mark adds his comment there, in saying this, Jesus declared all foods clean. 
<laughs> now, it may be easy for you to see the irrefutable logic of what Jesus is saying. Yes, obviously, food doesn't defile us. However, Jesus and his disciples were all Jews, and they followed a very strict dietary system, which Jews still follow today, the whole kosher system uh, that, that uh, is actually laid out for them in the law of Moses that was given by God on Mount Sinai. And in that law, it was very clear that some foods were forbidden. And it was one of the things that really made Jews stand out from other people, still does today, that they won't eat certain uh, foods. Um, and now Jesus is saying, that doesn't matter. Don't worry about it. Uh, all foods are clean. And this is really a different category from what was happening earlier in the chapter when Jesus was saying, look, your traditions about hand washing and stuff, those don't matter. Um, that's fine. That's just a tradition. But now he's saying that the dietary commands of the book of Leviticus are of no use to you spiritually. How can Jesus say that his followers are not required to follow biblical commands that God gave to Moses on Mount Sinai? Well, this is an issue that can be really hard to get your head around. So I, I want you to really be thinking here as I'm explaining this. I'm going to explain it fairly briefly, but uh, I created this nice Venn diagram here to help us all understand. Uh, I'm not sure if Jesus used a Venn diagram when he taught it, but he probably did. Probably sketched it out in the dust or something there. Anyway, but this is a big deal. So, so try to concentrate and, and, and follow what I'm, what I'm saying here. So, so here it is. First, there is a universal moral law of God that is all-encompassing and everlasting. This law is a perfect reflection of God's will for all things, and it does not change. And this is the law that existed in the days before Moses went to Mount Sinai. Uh, so guys like Noah and Job and Abraham and Joseph and all the rest of those guys from the early days of, uh, of man's relationship with God, they all lived according to this law. They didn't have the law of Moses. But then God did something new. Um, in, this, in the Exodus story, he created a nation that would bear his name. So he called the people of Israel out through across the Red Sea, all that stuff, and uh, promised them that they would uh, have the land of Canaan. And on their way out of Egypt and on the way to Canaan, they went to Mount Sinai in the Sinai Desert. And there, Moses met with God on the mountain, and God gave them a very detailed plan of how that nation was to function as the people of God. And uh, that is what we're calling here the law of Moses. Not that Moses made the law, but he received the law from God and wrote it down for us. And um, much of the teaching of this uh, law of Moses overlaps with God's universal moral law. Uh, but there were also parts of it that were temporary regulations meant to guide God's people only for a certain amount of time. So things like murder, adultery, greed, theft, jealousy, racism, those are all expressly forbidden 
uh, in the law of Moses, and they're also forbidden by God's universal moral law. But there were also things in the law of Moses, like Sabbath keeping, the whole system of animal sacrifices, rules about haircuts and how you're not supposed to mix different fabrics in, in, or fibers in your fabrics. Those were not part of God's universal moral law. Those were things that God wanted the people of Israel to follow uh, only for a particular time and place during the, the nation of Israel. And when Jesus came, he fulfilled the law of Moses. And it is now not binding on the people of God to follow the things that were given to Moses on Mount Sinai. However, since much of the law of Moses overlaps with God's universal moral law, many of the things from uh, Mount Sinai are still binding on us, but they're binding on us because they are part of the eternal will of God, not because they're part of the Mosaic law, which has been set aside by Jesus. So what Jesus is declaring to his disciples here is that all of those food regulations are part of the law of Moses, but not part of the eternal law of God. Um, and, and I don't know how much the disciples really got this picture at this point. We know that some of them still had some doubts and still didn't quite understand what was going on here, but eventually they got it because later in the Bible, we see them teaching this stuff in the epistles and they uh, explain it. But right here, when Jesus first tells them, uh, they're pretty shocked. They're pretty shocked. In their minds, the food regulations were a big part of what separated the people of God from the people of the world. And now Jesus was saying that those were irrelevant to true spirituality. Nothing that goes into a person causes him to be defiled, but what comes out of the heart. For them, that was, that was mind-blowing. They, they just, uh, that, was, that was a lot. So then Jesus goes on in verse uh, 20. He went on, what comes out of a person is what defiles them, for it is from within, out of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All these evils come from inside and defile a person. So, you cannot be defiled by eating a strip of bacon. But that doesn't mean that there's no such thing as defilement. True defilement comes from within. And it could be that you're like the Pharisees who look good on the outside. You're performing many good religious practices. You've cleaned up your life enough so that you look good to other people. But your heart contains the things on this list. So let's take just a moment to look over that list and reflect on our own hearts. He lists sexual immorality, theft, murder, and adultery. Now those things are common enough in our world, but I think uh, many of us are probably doing a pretty good job of not uh, actually acting on any of these, not murdering anybody. Or... But Jesus is not just talking about actions here. 
he's talking about the evil thoughts of our hearts. And some of us do have some of these evil desires in our hearts, and if we're not careful, they will come out and defile us. And then the list goes on to greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. Surely none of us are completely free from these sinful conditions in our hearts, right? I know I'm not. But what is Jesus saying then? Is he saying that we are all defiled? I think that's what he's saying. <laughs> I think there's a, a sense in which we are all defiled. We're all sinful. Even after we become Christians, our hearts still trend toward some of these sins. So then, the question is, what is the solution? If we are not to come under the condemnation of the Pharisees and be hypocrites in our religion, what must we do? What must we do? And I think there's four things. First of all, we need to repent. That is, we need to confess your sins to God and turn away from it and turn toward Him. Uh, last week, Pastor Mike, uh, in, in his message, it was mainly about that idea of repentance and the idea of turning away from sin, making that decision to say, I, I, I desire to, to move away from this sin. I, I confess it to God that I have this sin, and I reject it, and I'm turning toward God instead. Does that mean you're, you're really going to never commit that sin again? Not necessarily, but you have made that willful choice to repent of the sin and to turn toward God. Listen to that message from Mike last week. It's, it's on the website uh, if you want to uh, hear that again about repentance and the importance of it. Um, secondly, be humble. Man, know that you are not where you need to be and other people are not either. Uh, we're all on a journey toward godliness. So don't judge those who have different struggles than you do. Right? It's, it's, our, it's our human nature, our human tendency is to minimize our own faults. Oh, yeah, what I do is not a big deal. But what those other guys are doing, oh, man. Uh, we condemn the faults of everybody else. Our own faults, oh, those are small. Don't give in to that tendency. Be humble. Be humble. Third thing, and this is huge. This is one of the main things that separates Jesus from the Pharisees here. Prioritize your heart. What God wants from us is not just to clean up our outward appearance and to look good on the outside. God wants to clean up our hearts. So don't be so concerned with following the rules and tithe your blueberries while you swallow a camel by neglecting justice, mercy, and faithfulness. And the fourth thing is that we need to learn to imitate the heart of God. If you want to work on your heart, what should our hearts be like? Our hearts should be like the heart of God. So how do you know what the heart of God is like? Well, you got to read and study your Bible. you got to be a part of your church where you hear good biblical teaching. Seek the knowledge of the heart of God. Here's what God said through the prophet uh, Jeremiah. He said, Let the one who boasts 
boast in this, that they have the understanding to know me, that I am the Lord who exercises kindness, justice, and righteousness on earth. For in these I delight, declares the Lord. Seek the knowledge of the heart of God. Seek to know him. Learn his heart of kindness, justice, and righteousness, and seek to imitate that. And if you do these four things, you can avoid the condemnation of the Pharisees, despite the fact that our hearts are corrupt, our hearts are defiled, but that doesn't mean that we have to live in hypocrisy. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for for accepting us despite our sinfulness and for promising to do good things for us and to help us to move on this journey toward righteousness. And Lord, I pray that each one of us would uh, repent of our sins, be humble, focus on our hearts, and seek to know you. Lord, I pray this in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen.